0: Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uctana, and today we'll be talking about how to create a relationship with Akashic beings beyond seeing them as authorities or answer machines. First, I want you to begin thinking of journeying to the Akashics like going to meet a friend at the coffee shop. It could be just to spend some time together, to get caught up on each other or for a specific purpose, but you know for sure you're going to meet them, there will be a coffee shop, and there will be coffee. Yay! Next, I want you to think of your animal guide as the friend you're intending to meet at the coffee shop. Because they are. And you are. So it makes sense to do that. So there. Now, When you meet someone at a coffee shop, you don't approach them as if they're dangerous or some sacred being or a symbol of something. You approach them as your friend. Of course, you note how they look, what they're wearing, how their hair is done, etc. In fact, this is in part why we want to meet them in person. We want to interact with their person, you know, personally. Otherwise, we could have coffee at home in our jammies and FaceTime them. We may or may not remark on how they look, depending on who we are, who they are, and what boundaries there are in the relationship. Some need the superficial, you look nice today, and some require the, what were you thinking, or the, wow, I love it, each to their own. Okay, so you've arrived at the shop, you've spotted your friend, you've got coffee in hand, and you've gotten through the preliminaries. Now what? Well, that's a conversational thing, right? Someone starts the conversation and then it rolls, or it doesn't. Again, depends on the people, the relationship, and the reason for the meeting. But someone starts the conversation, usually the one who initiated the meeting in the first place, and they at some point had the conversation towards what they want or need. You with me so far? Okay, good. Now, when you go to the Akashics with my meditations, you go to your room. It's your room and only yours. No one can enter it without your permission. You give permission to your animal guide because this is how I set up the meditation. I'm sneaky that way. The initial room isn't a foyer. It isn't some staging area. It's yours. It's a reflection of who you are and how you're doing in life at the moment. Just recently, I was working with a student whose room was completely sterile. No personality at all. Practically empty. So was their life at the moment. Everything in place but nothing lived in or loved. I've worked with other students where the room looked like a group of teenage girls had hurtled through it, throwing all their things down willy-nilly on their way to the beach or the park or some event. It was delightful chaos which showed how much work they'd been doing in a very short time frame. Others have rooms which are extremely luxurious, full of red velvets and silks, incense and oils, soft cushions and everything good to eat, While others have what appear to be English cottages from the countryside, and still others have rooms from New England beach houses. None are wrong, and all reflect the person and their life and their choices. This is their coffee shop. This is where they come to meet with people, with friends, to discuss everything and anything which is important or frivolous or in between. And the friend they're meeting is their animal guide. An animal guide may be their totem, It may appear as if it's a long since gone favorite pet or a big cat or something mythological or altogether new and unknown. This has relevance to the student because they called the meeting and asked to be met by their animal guide. This is what the meditation is for, in part. Not their only animal guide, not someone who will symbolize their soul and confirm their inner suspicions about this or that, but their animal guide. Again, think about the friend at the coffee shop. Do we think of our friends as being symbols of our soul? Nope, they're themselves. They have meaning to us in a multitude of ways. We're happy to have them, hopefully. They provide us with fill-in-the-blank things which are good in our life. They're there for us, they love us, and they make our life better because they're a part of them. That we have this one and this kind versus someone else is very much a symbol which points to who we are both essentially as in our true nature or who we are as a person, but also who we are right now. There are friends who we could enjoy all year round, and there are others who are good in small amounts once in a while. It's as much about us as it is about them, which is completely fine and appropriate. So with that said, conversations with animal guides, spirit guides, or any beings in the Akashics follow social rules similar to those we use here in Embodied Life. When you invite someone into your home or out to coffee, they're your guest and you're the host. Conventions vary, but in general, a host is expected to provide hospitality set the tone for the visit, and lead the conversation, at least initially. In the Akashics, this means guides will wait patiently until they're spoken to. They won't burst in with a message or reams of information to impart. If asked, what do I need to know, they often remain mute because there really isn't anything the person needs to know, and the room's person invited them, not the other way around. Most conversations in embodied life start with a greeting. If we know the person, this is just an acknowledgment, whether a nod, a handshake, or a hug. If we don't, then introductions need to happen. Because we're encased in bodies, and most of us are neither telepathic nor truly emotionally fluent as empaths, we're regulated to using names, a series of sounds and symbols expressed in a linear manner as a means of expressing who we are. In the Akashics, no such formula is necessary. Without encasement, a being expresses who they are by fully being what they are. This makes for interesting and sometimes confusing interactions between spirit guides and embodied beings as expectations and communication styles clash. What I suggest for my students, rather than ask the name of the being they're meeting, is they ask how the being is related to them. While this can seem awkward, it can be helpful to remember we do this all the time within our families. Mom and dad are the most common forms of this relationship-style naming, but we sometimes do a more nuanced version with grandparents, signifying one grandmother as Nona and the other as Gami and so on. A guide will always acknowledge who they are in relation to their person, will present a personal or visual representation of some kind, and may offer a nickname or even a name that they've used in their own past embodiments. All of this combines into what we think of as a name. Animal guides follow the same rule. They could be the friend who is there for a specific purpose and otherwise we don't see them much. They could be our best friend who is always around and loves to hang. They could be someone we haven't seen forever and need to get caught up with. Or they could be someone we need to get closer to and we haven't had the chance until now. You won't know until you get there. And do our friends know this for us? Do we know it at the time? Sometimes, but usually not. Most of the time we figure it out after the fact and act accordingly. Same with animal guides. The one thing to note is, you're the one who called them to say you wanted coffee at the coffee shop. So they aren't going to rush up to you with all kinds of information and instructions and business. They're waiting for you to initiate the conversation. They are pretty much all following the speak when spoken to rule, so you start and then they'll respond. And yes, they can respond. I keep likening them to friends because they are. Not in the my pet is my child way or dogs are man's best friend. Animal guides are beings just like us. They're intelligent much the same way, they have language, and can communicate with you in your native tongue or any other you want to use. They may choose not to, and that's a choice, just like a friend may avoid talking about a subject they don't enjoy or have issues with. So don't assume the animal guides are mute, they can't communicate, or you're having a one-way conversation because that isn't the case. I use the concept of conversation as a means of helping students understand how we think. Because daydreams are conversations between our logical left brain, our connected to the eternal right brain, and our soul. They take the mundane and the possible and try to help us bring to consciousness more about ourselves and our path. Dream time is a place where our right and left brains can sort out the input of the day and put it in perspective where all the things we've shunted into our emotions and our body can be brought back out and processed, where our guides can talk with us, where others who are working in dream time can come visit us, and where we can go to the Akashics to catch up with our teachers and the remainder of ourselves, which has stayed behind. Just to name a few of the ways we're holding conversations in our head. In all of these situations, are we making all this up in our heads? Yes and no. Like any conversation, we create meaning through vocalizations and symbols, letters and numbers, or relay meaning we've already devised. But we're only one part of a conversation, even an internal one. During daydreams or dream time, we're working with experiences and input coming from outside of us, have various aspects of ourselves and processes imparting wisdom and insight to us, and other beings adding in their perspective in order to build on or argue with our meaning or convince us of theirs. And so it is in the Akashics. Guided meditations in the Akashics can feel like a dream or a daydream because they use the skills you already possess. In the Akashics, like dreams, everything is symbolic and can be fluid or not depending on the situation. Much of it, at least at first, may seem very familiar. Just like any conversation you have with someone you haven't seen for a while or have just met, the conversation begins with things you know and quickly moves towards trying to find common ground or connection. Beings do this in the Akashics by presenting themselves in a visual way you're familiar with, such as appearing as a favorite pet, as someone you've known, or in a visual form which seems familiar, even though you can't quite figure out why. As the conversation progresses, the topics, symbols, and means of communication will move into more pertinent forms as you make a shared language or symbol base with each other, just like you would do with a coworker or peer in normal life. Over time, you have shared jokes, shared vocabulary, and shared experience you can use to understand each other better and more quickly. One way you can check to see if what you're experiencing in the Akashics is really all you is to change something. Try to see your animal guide in another form. Try changing a chair in your room into a chimney. Or try changing any object at all. Try changing the nature of the place you arrive at, such as a beach, into a mountain or forest. You'll find some things will change. Others will attempt to change, but the change may be partial, temporary, or non-existent. This is because you can change your part of the conversation, but you can't change beings, things, and places much more than you can change your siblings or your significant other. And after all this, you can put all these things together when you're working with your gift object. If you want to really know one way or the other whether this is all in your head, Pick up or touch your specific object, the object you're offered when you do my Akashic level one class, and try to make it into something else. You'll find not only does it not change, but it resists and becomes steadfastly more of itself. It will become more present, weightier, brighter, and so on. When you've done this, ask your animal guide about it. They know what it is and what it means and why it's appeared in this way. Ask them like you'd ask a friend what this thing is you've found. You'll be delighted at the information and the interaction. Then ask the item itself. It's not some inanimate object, you know. Nothing in the Akashics is. It can communicate as well, and it has a great deal to say, just like your animal guide. It's one more friend to meet and work with. And who doesn't like spending time with friends? And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. Thank you to my patron of honor this week, Ingrid Grace. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can join in patron-only classes, see all my other offerings, and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.